KG, and this is not safe for networks. Welcome to Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Carl. <clears throat> this is take two. <laughs> we had howling and kids running in and all kinds of chaos. Clickety clack of dog f- nails on the floor. Yeah, you can look forward to that in a couple of minutes. <laughs> sure, it'll it'll just come coming right back up to the mic. <laughs> Hardwood floors are the best when recording. Yeah. So um so I just got Baldur's Gate uh downloaded. I I played it a bunch like 20 years ago. And I I never quite beat it, so I, I kind of jumped Me back into neither. it. Yeah, it was a big game. It came, it came in this thing that had I th- was it five CDs or six? Because I think I bought an expansion pack for it, so I think it was five. But then the extra disc was like the sixth. I can't remember anymore. But I, it was like I definitely had six CD ROMs for it. Uh, it was just massive, but. I was reading this article talking about the anniversary and it was talking about the developers of the game uh, who basically revolutionized the RPG games for for PC. And they were kind of sitting around like talking about the RPG games. They were all new. They were like out of college and they were ready to kind of jump into this. They were in a brand new company and they were just like, what do we want to do for an RPG game? And they were all D&D fans. And they were like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to do something that was like D&D. And they started talking about it. And then eventually they were like, let's just re- reach out to like Wizards of the Coast and see if we can do a D&D game. And so they did. And they were like, yeah, definitely. And so they made it. I think I think it was second edition rules because I think there's still Thacko and shit like that. Like two hit armor class zero. That sounds like there. second edition. Yeah. Which... It's so ridiculous when you think about like the whole Thacko thing because it always took it. So this is for the D&D fans out there. It was one of those things that was unnecessarily hard because if you did it in reverse, people would understand it. But they were always like to hit armor class zero. This is your Thacko number. Right. And if you get that, then you hit zero. But then if it's like, if their armor class is like one, then you subtract one from the, you know what I mean? Like it was unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. And I think that was something they fixed in later editions. I think like third edition, they did away with Thacko and they just, it's the same concept, but it was just easier to hear and understand. Yeah. I mean, the getting rid of Thacko in Dungeons and Dragons was definitely, uh, either a great idea or a terrible idea based on who you ask but there's always going to be purists in any yeah in any nerd genre there's always those purists that never wanted to change world of warcraft is a game that's gone through several uh evolutions as new expansions have been released and there is a hardcore group of dedicated vanilla wow players that have created their own version of the original game okay and they put it on a server and they ran it and eventually blizzard came in and was like guys can't run this anymore 
because <laughs> you're actually stealing players away from the actual game. Yeah. And they were like, but we don't like all the changes you've made to your game. <laughs> so we want to play it the way that we played it when it first came out. And uh, eventually I think they reached out to the, the, the people and said, Hey, we're going to like work with you to like keep this thing so that it's like, make it official so that it's not like, so you guys aren't breaking a law, a copyright law by doing this. But I, it's probably just been buried at this point. It probably just no yeah. longer exists. Yeah. Cause it's, you want people to keep updating and buying new things for it. I'm sure that's what it, it ultimately comes down to. Right. Like right. just keep those checks rolling in. But to your point, uh, Thacko was unnecessarily complicated for sure. It was a weird formula that, uh, that does make sense if you, uh, it makes sense. Into math. But, there but if you're just trying to roll dice and have fun, it slows things down and makes, and it is uh, like a good opportunity. It made more for sense to say like, arguments. You have to get to this number, so you just add up the things and get to that number. That makes more sense than Thacko, where you're doing an extra calculation for no good reason other than that's what Gary Gygax came up with in the 70s. Right. That's really what it boils down to. So everybody's just like, well, this is the way I've always done it. It's always that purist argument that um, I don't always like I understand not wanting to change things if they're not better. But it's the argument where it's like, but this is the way I've always done it, that I don't like that argument because that's the very rigid. I'm not into change kind of thought process wherever that comes in, whether it be D&D or politics or whatever, dude, just across the board. It, it's one of those things like this is the way it's always been. So this is the way it always has to be. It's like, well, if you find a better way, it's fine. As long as it's a better way, like you don't want change for the sake of change. You want change for the sake of making things better. I feel like anyway, so with Baldur's gate, that was a, that was a bit of a tangent. <laughs> uh, so with Baldur's gate, they went with all of these rules and they spent, they, they had a person who put something like 800,000 words, uh, like text into the game, which I'm seeing constantly. Like you pull these books off the bookshelves and like they have no purpose other than to teach people about the forgotten realms, like the history of it. And like you identify a magic item and there's tons of magic items and about half of them are, a very specific like it's just like a dagger plus two but it'll have a name attached to it and i'll give a story behind that dagger you know which is kind of cool like they, they added all of these extra elements and you could change your party as you wanted to which really wasn't something that you saw too much i think shining force had that a little bit uh it was like a sega genesis game and i think you could do it in that one but like this is one where it, it became more mainstream. You could get evil characters, good characters, neutral characters. Like you could shape the party way you wanted it. You could pick any alignment, any class, any race. Like it was really cool. Um, and so they did all of this stuff. And they said if we had known how much work it was going to be, we probably wouldn't have done it. But they just killed themselves to get this game out. And they were just hoping that they could sell 300,000 copies, which was a lot back then. But they were like, if we could get to 300,000, then we have the engine and we can make these other games. Um, they wound up selling 1.5 million. It was the most successful game ever at that point. Like, obviously, we have games, I think, that sell, move a couple million units in the opening weekend now. 
But back in those days, like 1.5 was like impressive. And so it was just kind of interesting reading this because it really just came from this labor of love and they just killed themselves putting it up, but they wound up changing RPG games forever, you know? I just kind of appreciated that reading it, you know? But uh, yeah, I've been playing with some of the characters. I finally got Mince the other day, who's my favorite. He's a ranger who got hit in the head too many times, and he has a hamster named Boo, and he thinks it's a space hamster. (laughs) (laughs) They had fun with the writing on that game. Yeah, they definitely did. I just ran into a cobalt and, like, two other little creatures and, like, set up their blue. Like, they have a red ring if they're going to attack or if they're violent or whatever. But, Mm -hmm. like, they're just blue. So, I was like, huh. So, I went up to talk to them. And uh, one's named Larry, the other's Daryl, and another one's Daryl. And so, he's like, he's like, uh, basically, if you talk to them, if you ask for their autograph, they give you an autograph or you can, like just say get away from me or whatever and they're like see i I told you they're too young but that was a new heart reference from the show new heart in the 80s there's did you ever watch deadwood uh yeah okay so that sleazy guy who always works for al swearingen and deadwood he played larry and he had these two other kind of bumpkin guys with him and he'd always be like i'm larry this is my brother daryl and this is my other brother daryl and it was like he would introduce himself funny every single episode is that way like every time and it was super ridiculous because he's always doing it to bob newhart who knows them sees them every single episode (laughs) that's the thing and the daryls were like mute like they never talked Mm. but larry did all the talking interesting (laughs) but it's just like weird that they put it into this like D &D (laughs) game yeah that's a deep cut there for the D &D video game (laughs) yeah market it really is but uh, you said you played some of the other ones, like Icewind Dale and shit like I mean, that. A few years just... back, I bought a bundle off the internet of all of those games. There were quite a few. Yeah. And I never even, like, I think there were maybe 12, 15 games in this bundle, and I have played, I think, three of them. Okay. <laughs> because at a certain point, um, they're just all exactly the same. Yeah. And some of them work better than others. I think the original Baldur's Gate is much better than the sequel mm-hmm. um, because the the starting point in the first game is more logical. And uh, in what I would find with these games is there wasn't a whole lot of uh, direction. And so it was very easy to immediately from the right from the beginning, you go through the little tutorial intro part of the game. And then as soon as you're given the ability to travel to other parts of the map. If you travel to the wrong spot, you will instantly die (laughs) because you go to an area that's like too high level for your character. So that's why you you save a lot. (laughs) So you're forced, you're on rails, but you can't see the rails. The rails are, if you go to the wrong spot, you will die. And so you kind of, figure out the right path through the game through trial and error rather than being sort of guided that way. Mm -hmm. That's where I thought um, the first Baldur's Gate is pretty smart is that there's not a lot of those. Like you can't get to them right away because there's little things that will stop you for whatever reason. But you have stuff where like party members all have their own deal and they want their own deal and they almost have like a ticking clock inside where like if you're not heading to do their deal at some point 
then they're just going to leave the party. That Yeah, I remember that happening. Yeah, and so, like, you have ultimately choice of what you want to do in the game, but, you know, it's it, it's kind of difficult a lot of the time because you're also wanting to keep the group that you want, you know? <laughs> so you have to keep them happy. Right. And you have, like, the big missions and stuff. So I will often, like, do little side things, but, like be going generally in the direction I'm supposed to be going, but like like I was supposed to go to the Nashville mines and then I'm like ignoring it and going on those side things and then the priest just like throw or the druid just throws this big hissy fit and I'm like, well, I don't want to lose a druid, so I better head over there. <laughs> it came down to that because she's got a lot of healing spells, so, you know, need that. <laughs> but I, I found it very interesting. Um, you saw into the Spider Verse, right? Oh yes, yeah. What'd Christmas you, Day. What'd you think about it? I kind of, I kind of spoiled it last night, saying that like you really liked it. We both thought it was the best Spider-Man movie, but yeah, it is. It is phenomenal. Um, I think it's got one of the best voice casts in a movie in a long time. Uh, I liked everybody in it, and it was also the jokey sort of characters, like the Spider Ham. The uh, Batman Noir, they weren't overdone. So, like, those were characters that could have easily gotten really stale really fast. They're used just enough. Yeah. But they're not overused. Like, I think there were maybe five lines of John Mulaney's that were not in the trailer. You yeah. Know? He was not, it wasn't a thing where you only see like 1% of. Of Spider-Ham. Now, you see about 80% of Spider-Ham in the trailer, but that's okay because that character's not going to work. Yeah, essentially... If you overuse it. Essentially, Miles Morales holds it down, and then you've got um, the Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman and uh, Peter B. Parker vying for a lot of Mm. time. And then, so Spider-Ham, Spider-Man Noir, and that... Penne Parker, the uh, anime one, yeah. like they're just they're just sort of they're like fifth, sixth, seventh bananas, right? Like they they have limited lines, but the lines that they give them are really good, <laughs> and they tend to all be together. Like you don't see them until later on. In yeah, the, the movie. three the three sort of um, really offbeat Spider Men mm-hmm. are generally always in a group together and never really have any major plot developments as far as their characters go, which is fine because I mean, they're great characters, but they don't need a whole lot of development. They're never going to be the leads. Yeah. And the characters that like, Oh, the villains were all fantastic. Again, the voice cast, uh, I don't know if we talked about this. I think we glossed over it, um, a little bit last week, but, uh, should we just say like spoilers on this yes. so we can just talk about sure. the shit? Spoilers. We did our spoiler free last week. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, they did a gender swap on Doc Ock mm-hmm. for this movie, and it's Olivia Octavius. She's actually and, in the comics as well. Uh, she is fantastic. Uh, the voice of her was Catherine Hahn, who's been in a ton of like uh, Adam McKay. Um, Will Ferrell kind of movies. Yeah, she's, she's in, in like Step Brothers. She's in Step Brothers. She's in Anchorman. She's she's just fantastic in her own right, and she crushed that role. Lily Tomlin was a fantastic Aunt May that sort of combined the 
the look of um, the Amazing Spider-Man, like Sally Field, with the attitude of Marissa Tomei's Aunt May, where she looked older with the gray hair and everything, but she had she had energy. She wasn't just a doddering old lady. Yeah, you know, she was part of the team. Yeah, she was very much a partner to to Peter Parker. Like she, yeah, she was like Peter Parker's uh, Alfred the Butler, you know, and she was fantastic. And uh, Chris Pine was a great, like, good Spider Man that's like in the in his prime and doing great. And then, and then he straight up dies. I mean, yeah. this I was kind of surprised. This movie does not shy away from people being dead and staying dead, and like we saw Spider-Man's funeral, we visit his grave at, at one point. It's- you know what's crazy about that too is like they didn't shy away from him dying, and like it's a PG movie. Like it's the only Spider-Man movie to not be PG thirteen. Well, think about how and- many freaking uh, PG movies uh, have animals die in them, and it's like just this gut wrenching moment. It's like you know, you don't need to be. The thing that makes it more than PG is when it's like graphic. Right. You know, or when it's unnecessary. But I mean, death is a part of our world. It's part of the cycle of life. So, I mean, it's good that we aren't um, insulating our children or our young people from that concept because it's something that we all have to come to terms with. Yeah. You know, so why wait until we're you know, in our twenties to like, start, start thinking about this, have the conversation, you know, now. And I'm sure it's not like kids between the ages of five and 10 have never experienced that before. You know, it's, it's more shocking now in a way because you don't see it very often in animated movies anymore. Right. But you used to see it a lot. Like Bambi's mom dies. I think um, it's a have, like, pendulum swing of culture where it's like, you know, our our society swings back and forth from like a sex positive, sex negative type culture. And we do the same thing with censorship. I mean, when you look at shows in the 70s and the 80s uh, and you go, that's Beetlejuice is PG. Yeah. And if well, you PG-13 didn't exist. Right. Either. Right. Yeah. I think. And that's a big part of it is when <clears throat> PG-13 became a thing. A lot of movies that were originally PG were moved into that category. And so then when we see something like this in Spider-Man where a character gets crushed to death, you know, uh, we're like, wow, this isn't a PG-13 movie. You know what's crazy about it? Um, Doesn't it feel like G is unnecessary anymore? I feel like G means this is for people under a certain age. Like if you're older than a certain age, this isn't for you. PG is able to sort of, and PG 13 are able to bridge young and old audiences, but it feels like if something gets a G rating, it's like if you're over eight, not for you. I just feel like we're not even trying to include you in the demographic. When I was a kid, it was like, okay, G is like that. You're talking kids, cartoons, PG is like, you can take, you can take your kids to it. PG-13 is like, um, you can take your kids to it, but you might not want to. Like, there's dicey material here, and R is like, no, you can't You can't take your kids, right? And I felt like that's how it was for a long time. What it seems like now is it's like you have R, which we all know what that is, and then PG-13, <clears throat> which is what PG used to be. 
like before they had a PG-13 and then like PG is like what G used to be and G is just like you almost never see something that's rated G anymore. It's so rare. Uh G is nowadays like uh straight to video. It's like SpongeBob's and yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff that is strictly for children. And then but rating systems are frustrating anyways because there's always um it's always so arbitrary. Like, uh, you can cut somebody's head off in a PG-13 movie as long as there's no blood. Yeah. You know, you can... It's very... And also, the restrictions on certain things like uh, violence is is very acceptable in a PG or PG-13 movie. But uh, sex? Oh, we must protect the children. From two people loving each other, but two people hating each other and trying to remove one the other from the world? That's okay. It's interesting, too, because when I was a kid, you could get nudity in a PG-13 movie. You know, like I, I can think of a couple, like Doc Hollywood. Uh, there's like a breast scene in Doc Hollywood. Like there's a, there's Titanic. a lot. Yeah. There's um, like a lot of PG-13 movies that was just like, yeah, we're going to show, we're going to whip a little nudity at you. Uh, Radio Land Murders is one I'm a big fan of where uh has one very brief scene where a character is running around this radio studio, this TV studio or and no, it's a radio studio. TV hasn't been invented yet. And he <laughs> bursts into a dressing room by accident and like uh all the women are topless and they're like screaming, covering themselves up. And then he kind of gets stopped for a second and it's like, oh, look at that. And then he runs off because he's still looking for the director or whatever. And uh I'll be honest, uh, there was a period about 10 years ago when I was locked in a pre-release, and one of the things in the pre-release was no rated R movies. <laughs> so I watched... <laughs> so you're like going through 80s PG-13 So I found movies. old PG-13 movies that had nudity in them just so I could see a boob. Because boobs are great. That's weird that they wouldn't let you watch R-rated movies. It was a, a very strange thing, especially considering some of the people that were in there with me were in their 50s and 60s. Yeah. And it's like, what are you, how are you, uh, what is this accomplishing? You know, I, I don't understand what preventing somebody from watching Terminator 2 is doing to rehabilitate them, you know? Like, it seems yeah, arbitrary. Yeah, they're worried you're going to become liquid it, metal. It just feels <laughs> like uh, uh, just another way to for to punish people, you know? Um I could go on a giant rant about how I feel like our justice system cares nothing about rehabilitation and only cares about uh, justice, like or uh, punishing, making the making people feel better by putting other people down. You know? Yeah. And when I was a kid, uh, people that were on the assisted lunch, like the the cheaper lunch or the free lunches, they had to like basically get in the very back of the line and so everybody else got to go get their lunch and then they would be last and i never thought about that (laughs) until somebody was mentioning it on a podcast i was listening to like the cracked podcast back when it was good oh yeah uh like they mentioned that and i was like oh yeah that's really screwed up and i never thought twice about (laughs) that that when i was a kid just hearing that is infuriating it just like fills me with a rage (laughs) of Yeah, it's a like, lot of, I oh, feel look, like there's the poor kids. They didn't do enough to get ahead. So, and a lot of like the the, of the just the system of criminal justice in this country feels like 
designed to uh, oppress poor people. It's like, like sometimes we're not actually punishing people for breaking laws. We're literally just punishing them for not having money. Yeah. Um, cash bail. You know, that's the thing. Hey, welcome to an episode of uh, Pod Save America. <laughs> <laughs> the political no, I've been watching, listening to a lot of that podcast. It's really good, but uh, that's not. It. I, <laughs> you know what happened to me with Pod Save America? I couldn't get back into it because before, before they were that, they were keeping it sixteen hundred, and uh, that that was their podcast before that with the Ringer Network. Um, John Lovett and yeah, and well, he was. I think it's hilarious. He too. was like the third wheel of it, kind of like he would come. They would do two a week, and he'd be on one of the two, and then the other two were, um, God, they were both uh, Obama aides. Um, well, that's the, what cracks me up is the two main guys in Pod Save America are named John Lovett and John Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau, was and one they're of them. both. Yeah. Have the same names as famous Hollywood people. Well, yeah. John Lovett, John Lovitz. But still, like, every time I hear that podcast, like, I'm John Lovett and I'm John Favreau. And I'm like, you're going to talk about Marvel movies and, <laughs> nope. and com, and like the, the critic? It's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> We're not those guys. <laughs> Acting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I couldn't quite forgive them because I was listening to them on the run up to the 2016 election. And they were almost getting swarmy about how Clinton was just going to beat the pants off of Trump. <laughs> and you like, know, yeah, they have bad timing. I <clears throat> listened to, I started listening to it about two weeks before the midterms happened. Mm-hmm. And a week before the midterms, they interviewed Beto O'Rourke and, and no, no, not Beto O'Rourke. Sorry. They interviewed Andrew Gillum, who was running for f- governor in Florida. And they all but gave him the election in their interview with him. And then he lost. Yeah. So it was like, uh, this, so you this see a, where I'm coming this from. This is a on little this. cringy yeah. of an interview because they almost treated it like a foregone conclusion, but. And that's how they were treating the election. And then they'd be like, oh, but get out and vote. But they'd been spending so much time talking about how it was kind of in the bag and who would vote for Trump and things like that. That it just sort of it made me mad when Trump won. And I (laughs) I, went to listen to him again. I was just like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I do like they interviewed Stacey Abrams a couple like a week or two ago. And she was the she ran for governor in Georgia, I believe it was. And Mm -hmm. she was the one that. uh, Um. Like the guy was she, she was the one running where the against, guy was like basically in charge of. He uh, was the chairman uh, of campaign of like voting and everything, and it was like there's a conflict of interest here. Yeah, he was the one overseeing to make sure the elect like the votes were. And when she gave her right concession place. speech, what I really liked about her concession speech was she said, "I acknowledge that legally he's the governor now. I do not believe that he got there ethically." And so I do not concede this race, but I do acknowledge that legally he is the governor. Yeah. And so she gave a non-concession concession speech and it was very well like written and it was very well delivered. And I think that she has the capability to maybe run in the 2020 election. Honestly, I think she's got the, um, she's smart and she is like, but when she talks, she doesn't come off as like 
pretentious. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Obama came off as pretentious most of the time. But I think sometimes he kind of did. I think she's a little bit more uh, conciliatory in her, the way she speaks. So I really liked her. I think she's great. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, you're a fan of the Goldbergs, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to shift away from politics. Okay. Uh, I'm a fan of the Goldbergs too. And I just saw that there's a spinoff coming January 10th. We're in a TV desert period right now where all the shows are off for Christmas through New Year's. So there's like no good television on right now. And, uh, the gold, like Goldbergs is on break. It's coming back the ninth. And then the following day they're doing a spinoff with, with this. The fact that these two shows are going to be on at the same time is kind of weird though, because this show is called, Oh, I looked it up on my phone, but I forget now. Uh, here it is. It's called schooled. It takes place in the nineties where Goldbergs is a show that takes place in the eighties. Right. And instead of focusing on the Goldberg family, it actually focuses on the uh, Barry Goldberg's the oldest son in the family. And he has a girlfriend named Lainey. And this show focuses on her. And she gets a job at the school where they all went. Um, and so the guidance counselor from the Goldbergs, who's played by Tim Meadows, has become the principal. And then... uh Let's see, Brian Callen, who plays the coach, who's one of the best characters on Goldbergs. Yeah, he he's my is, favorite. He's also a main character of this show. So this show will be about the three of them working at the school. And uh, so what's weird about it is that Lainey's in both shows and they take place 10 years apart. Yeah. But she was going to look exactly the same I'm gonna be in honest, both dude. shows. She's going to look more natural in the 90s than she does in the 80s. Because when she was she looks too old to be. When she uh, was introduced, yeah. I was like, she, like, I know that they hire people that aren't teenagers to play teenagers right. all the time. But I was like, dude, she, how old is she? And I remember looking it up and it's like she was like in her mid 20s or something. <laughs> she is pretty great on Goldberg. So she's pretty great. Yeah. No, I'm not. And I'm not. <clears throat> My favorite thing about the Goldbergs is that the way the dialogue is written is a lot of things that would never be said out loud, but is always in the subtext. They just say it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's always really funny. Like, uh, the daughter does it a lot. What's her name? Uh, Erica. Yeah, Erica. She does it a lot where she'll say, I wouldn't normally do this because it would ruin our lives and cause us all this drama. But what the hell? Let's do it anyways. You know, that, that first part would never actually be said in real life. Right. But they are, they're basically <clears throat> just spoon feeding us the subtext, but they are doing it in a way that I don't feel like they're being condescending to me. I think that they're like going, I think this they're is the funny joke. Cause they're literally saying it out loud. Yeah. That's the joke and it works. It's like not. It's not, they're not looking down their noses at us, but they also jokes. have that running joke with like Dave Kim. Like they always say his full name, Dave Kim. And then eventually they just start saying everybody's full names. Yeah. So like nobody says people's yeah, full names unless you're talking about a celebrity. And that means that reminds me, uh, because Lainey's a character, unless her dad dies in the 10 years between <laughs> the two shows, 
Uh, David Koechner will be a recurring character on the show because he plays her father. Do we know if she's together with Barry at this point? At the end of the last season of The Goldbergs, when he asks her to marry him and she says yes, they state that it doesn't work out. Okay. And so... What is that uh, like in the the post thing? It's part of the voiceover. Okay. In the very end of the season finale. They've definitely been building up this season that like they're going to get married. But they really, I think they might, maybe they get married and then they get divorced. Yeah. I think or they maybe actually they do. just don't, it, it might, don't go it might through with not, it too. But I think I remember, I don't remember the specifics of what, uh, the guy says at the end of the episode, what the narrator says, um, Patton Oswalt. <laughs> it's another good reason for watching the Goldbergs. Yeah. Patton Oswalt is the, uh, he's the, what's that guy, uh. From Daniel Stern. Oh, I thought you were going Daniel Stern from the Wonder Years, because that's basically what he's doing. He's narrating the thoughts. Right. Of- we really like putting famous actors and directors and stuff in those roles. Like uh, Bob Saget was the narrator voice in For How, How I, I Met, Met Your, Your Mother. Mother. Yeah. Uh, what is that? The dude from Happy Days, the director. Uh, uh, oh, um, he's the yeah, yeah, yeah. development one. Played Richie Cunningham. Um Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah. Yeah, he's the Arrested Development narrator. Then we got Patton Oswalt. Those are all pretty high-profile people that are just narrating. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's because you get to go in there and just knock out all your dialogue all at once and then leave. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's a really easy job. It's one of those weird uh, milestone or, like, watermarks where you can say, like, hey, this this is how I know I've succeeded. I get to be a narrator in a high-profile comedy show. It's like, uh, that's like the TV equivalent of having your song parodied by Weird Al. Yeah. Dude, Patton Oswalt <laughs> does the voices in so many things, too. And he's just in so many shows. He's surprisingly like it's prolific on TV these days. Yeah. Like AP Bio and Shield, uh, Agents yeah. of Shield. I think he was on that. He's like in Happy. Happy. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Happy was good. It's on Netflix now. Watch it. Yeah, we finally watched the last episode because we had we had like watched the first six, and then I had to get off a sling or whatever. And when we went back, they just they were only playing the first three forever. They never put the the last five on there, and I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" So when it finally like on the hit, Sci-Fi Channel's website, yeah. So when it finally Bastards. like dropped on Netflix, we got to watch the last two. So we waited all year. Like we started watching it around Christmas Oof. last year. And had to wait that long. You know, I'll say about that show, like, there's one episode in particular that this is minor spoiler. It's not for the overall plot. It's just like a single episode. But th- what really, and this came straight out of the comic, too. That's Happy's based on comics. Really good as well. Uh, Grant Morrison, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the main storyline revolves around an abducted child. And as, uh, certain characters are investigating the disappearance of this one child. They find another family who supposedly had their child taken in the same way. And they go to visit that family. And as they're, as they're talking to the family, everything seems fine. But then like one of the characters that gets up to go to the bathroom and then they hear a noise coming from the attic and they go up to the attic and their kid is in the attic. Yeah. And this, so it turns out that this family has absolutely nothing to do with the main storyline. And they are just, Awful they're people. like exploiting this 
like child abduction to get sympathy from themselves and they're holding their they're like keeping their own child like secretly imprisoned in their attic and it's like this is messed up dude but what i liked about it was that you know they just kind of they show how like yeah they're going after this one guy that's bad but guess what everything's messed up (laughs) like this is a show very cynical show when it comes to like portraying humanity and uh yeah super cynical (laughs) it's really really messed up and christopher maloney is just like he's basically a a cartoon character like a very malicious awful cartoon character i love that guy this is like and pat noswell is literally a cartoon yeah literally (laughs) because he has a hallucination that's his daughter's imaginary friend I, I think they sort of set it up like it's not a hallucination, but... No, in this world, in this fictional version of the world, imaginary friends are real. Right. Just only certain people can see You them. have to have uh, a certain type of sort of quality to you that allows you to see them like a youthfulness or something. I think that the fact that he can... The reason he can see the imaginary friend is because of the connection to his daughter. But then there's another character on I the think show. He also needs to, too. Like, do, isn't it like with people and this is just talking in general terms, but it seems like people with imaginary friends need the imaginary friend for some, for reason. some reason. Yeah. yeah. It, like there's another character on the show who is the, like a villain and he can see the imaginary friend because he's like, he had some trauma happen to him as a child and he never really grew up all the way. Yeah. And so he has this ability to sort of like, and he dresses as Santa and captures kids and puts them in boxes. (laughs) It's real messed messed up. up. (laughs) And he's like, and his imaginary friend is also like killing other imaginary friends or something. Like there's like a whole side plot with, Oh no, no. His imaginary friend was like, it's a sock. And it wanted to escape from it. It was trying to get it. Yeah. yeah. It was because he, by he, had, yeah. he had taken such a dark turn. He didn't want to be there for him anymore. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's so real weird. Up. Yeah. No, oh. I can't believe that show was even made. Do you know if they're making the second season? They are. It was greenlit. So season two will be coming eventually. Good. And that's exciting. Yeah. More Christopher Maloney for us all. Is Dude, always he's a good so thing. good. I remember the first time I saw him in Wet Hot American Summer, and I was like, <laughs> wow, a dude can do comedy. And he was like the funniest thing in that uh, when they did the Wet Hot American Summer, like, what was it? Uh, first day of camp. Oh, he was definitely the best part of that. Yeah. Like, he was so funny when he's going to chase that guy, but they're, like, clearly on a flatbed that's, like, moving. So, he's just, like, bouncing up and down looking like he's running. So, it's like, (laughs) that visual gag just absolutely slayed me because he has such a manic look about him. Uh, I keep telling people he's, he's, like, has this really funny part in... um, that one Amy Schumer movie where she's like abducted. Yes. Uh, snatched. Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's snatched. Yeah. The one with Goldie Hawn. Yeah. And like, he's so funny in it because he just looks like, like, you know what it is? He looks like he stepped out of romancing the stone. Like he kind of steps out and he like cuts his figure and he's like this dreamy guy. And he's like almost dressed like Indiana Jones light. And he's just like going to guide him through the jungle. 
And so he's guiding him. And then at a certain point, I don't remember exactly what happens, but he like falls to his death. And then they find his body and they go to get the map to figure out their way out. And they find out it's like the first thing they see is this hat. She's like, what? It's, a J- it's from J- J.C. Penney's? And then they like look at the map he's looking and it's a fucking it's a place map from uh, Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> he's just like using the map off of that. So he's just like clearly insane. And I love that dude. He played it yeah, so well in great. that movie. I also let's see what else have I watched in holidays. Not a lot going on TV wise, but oh, Bird Box came out. Yeah, on, uh, I reviewed that yesterday. I did you watch did, it? Yeah, I watched it. All right, what were your thoughts on it? So, um, I really liked it, but. I may have been mildly under um, some hallucinogenic substances. <laughs> like, not enough that I was, like, seeing things that weren't there or anything, but enough that I was, like, probably twice as engaged as I normally would have been in the movie. Like, I was locked in for the whole thing, and I was, like, it was an it was a ride for me. Yeah. But uh, I could see how... It's gotten mixed reviews, mm-hmm. and I can see that. Like, I, I don't, for me, it was great. It was straight good. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought everybody in it was really good. Uh, I really liked Sandra Bullock in this movie. I thought she was, I thought she was unbelievable. Really good. Yeah. Her ability to have like a thousand conflicting emotions all fighting in her head at the same time, and you can see it all playing on her face like, trying to decide what to do next and trying to like deal with this stuff. And the fact that like the movie jumps back and forth between like right after everything goes crazy and five years later Mm -hmm. and the five years later stuff, she's pretty much in a blindfold the whole time, just stumbling around. It feels very, her, the, her stumbling in the blindfold feels very real, you know, very authentic. And, uh, it also kind of felt like a metaphor about our current state of affairs because there's like this force that if you see it, you immediately just like go into a trance and try to kill yourself basically. Yeah. But there is this tiny, tiny subgroup of the population that likes what they see. And instead of it making them want to kill themselves, it makes them want everybody else to look at it. Yeah. And those feel like the, a metaphor for Trump voters. I was thinking the same thing. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't <clears throat> sure. I thought I might have been reading into, like, putting, projecting onto that movie. No, but, I like, think there's always something below the surface. It really in most felt movies. like, especially like horror movies nowadays, it feels like um, they're trying to legitimize the horror genre by making these movies very much metaphoric explorations of things like the Baba Duke is definitely exploration of like see I would a parent s- and their child when there's the father is gone and yeah. like a single mo- single motherhood it's so funny your head went down this track because <laughs> when I reviewed this yesterday uh somehow we wound up on a tangent where I was talking about I guess I guess we were talking about the new Jordan Peele trailer for oh, uh, for us, us? And, wow. Okay, so put that on hold for just a second. But I was talking about how, like, this is, I think, where horror is 
ultimately going. Like satire, and I, almost. Well, I think what it is, is you have a lot of people that grew up with horror movies and they know every trope and it doesn't scare them anymore, but they like horror movies. And so I think they're bringing like a sophistication to horror movies. Like Get Out. Yeah. Quiet Place. Yep. And those yeah. are all and so like. Quiet Place is a perfect place to talk about because I talked about Witch and uh, Get Out and uh, The Babadook. Like I talked about those three, for example. But yeah, uh, A Quiet Place is another one. So you've got like at least four of them now. There's probably more that oh, aren't uh, super hereditary. Big. Yeah, that's a good call, dude. Yeah, there's that's weird the new, stuff going on. That's like. Um, so did you see Hereditary? I did. Okay, we, dude. We wanted to talk about this. You didn't get a chance to watch it when it was in the theaters when you were here mm-hmm. over the summer. Cause I was talking about like, that is such a great movie. And then that end is just like so batshit crazy. It was a weird ending. It was like, uh, and the whole time it, it turned felt- off a lot of people. It didn't turn me off but i was like laughing because it was such a terrible ending for like what the rest of the movie was that it made me laugh because it was just like dude you really dropped the ball at the end but like i thought it was a really good movie it didn't take away from it to me that like the experience of that movie was so fucking unsettling and just when that little girl lost her head and (laughs) Oh my god! I'm never dude. gonna forget that. That yeah, was yeah. We're just this, awful. this whole this whole thing. If you hear us start talking about something, we're gonna spoil it. So just yeah. <laughs> just beware. Yeah, when when he's driving and uh, his little sister's out the thing, and then she she puts her head out the window and she just loses her head. It's just like it just. I don't know why that killed me so bad because in a horror movie where like horrible things happen, somehow that just landed like a wet fish on my yeah because bare that feet. that s- scene was not a scene of a monster killing a person or uh, a curse taking hold of a person. It was just. A stupid accident. So I'll tell you what, though. So my wife and I, okay, generally, and this has been well documented on the show. My wife does not like talking about movies when we when we walk out of them. We were literally walking out of this movie because we walked home. Uh, it was during the summertime. Um, I think it was during the summertime when it came out. But for whatever reason, we we didn't have to to worry about kids that night. So we were walking out of the movie theater and we're like walking home and we talked about it on the whole walk home. (laughs) And I had a whole impression about what I thought the movie was might have been about. And she had a different impression. And what it turned out, because that director has been talking about it a lot. So I actually like listened to it. Yeah, dude, it's Satan the whole time. Like, there's right. no, there's no hallucinations right. at the end. Like, and it gets a hold of that family. So when that girl <laughs> sticks her head out the window, she's doing it to weaken the boy who's driving so that eventually he will give up and like give into like this demonic force. It's so, so like silly. she willingly loses her head right like, like and if you watch it apparently there's like signs like on the um telephone poles and stuff of like the symbol like that that demonic <laughs> symbol and every time something crazy like that happens you see that symbol yeah it's some there's something like that in the frame like over and over again so it's like all <sighs> of so these bad people at catching things like that yeah uh, dude i look dude there's a lot going on in that especially movie. in that one yeah it's a fucking dense movie like the so that there's that show on NBC manifest and mm-hmm. it's like one of those shows where the entire thing is based around a 
the premise of the pilot and so in the mystery and I know this show is going to implode the second that mystery is revealed. Like this show doesn't have a compelling enough characters or plot to carry it beyond the initial mystery of the pilot episode. But um, part of the th- idea of it has to do with sort of like uh, predestination instead of knowing things that are going to happen before they happen. And coincidence is a big part of it. And uh, in the first episode, the so the quick the premise is a plane takes off five years later the plane lands and the people experienced a time jump they didn't they weren't like in the air for five years they took off they're in the air for like an hour they land and it's five years later and they all have this weird psychic connection to each other and like the ability to to like they hear voices and they see hallucinations that then like lead them to save people and things and uh, the flight is flight 828. And in that pilot episode, the number 828 like shows up in the background a whole bunch. And in that first episode, I picked up on it like two or three times. Haven't seen a reference to that number since. And I'm not sure if I'm just not noticing it or if they gave up on including Easter eggs like that in it because I think they're starting to give up. There's one character on that show. Her name's Grace. She's like one of the main characters' wives. She was left behind. She didn't fly on the plane. So when her, they have like twins and one of their twins has cancer and the cancer son or twin and the dad had take a different flight. And then they're the ones that are on the flight. So when they come back, it's five years later and she's kind of moved on and, after going through hell of losing her son and losing her husband, everybody hates Grace. Grace is kind of, she's the, uh, she's the Lori from Walking Dead. She's the, uh, she's what, the wet blanket character. What's, she's the Skyler from Breaking Bad. Um, who, by the way, I think they, they managed to redeem Skyler at the end of the show. Well, based on the death threats the actress got, oh, um, God. Yeah. that's what I'm talking about, too. It's not even that the character themselves is, like, a bad character. It's just that they seem to, like, I feel like Grace, even though I'm not a fan of the character, I think she draws an inordinate amount of, like, hatred. Let's let's back up for a second, though. Um, because I think Skylar... Um, I, I think it was unjustified with that character. She really was a victim and they, they painted her at certain times as being, um, like a shrew or a nag or just like, like she was kind of like Walter's biggest nemesis in a lot of episodes. Ugh. Right. Like, and so I think because of that, people got so into that, that character and it was, me. it was very unjustified, but Lori in the walking dead was a terrible character. <laughs> like, uh, made no sense if you spent like five minutes thinking about that character and was just the character who shat upon everything for the longest time in that show. And, you know, like you could make a case like she just had a baby. It was hormones or something like that. But man, they let that hang with that character until the <laughs> character was dead. So what do you want? Like that's that character was off like well, next level awful. I'll tell you which I, what I want. What I really, really want. <laughs> I want a fourth character to show up on a TV show or just to be identified to me, a fourth wife character on a show that gets a bunch of hate that is 
mostly undeserved, right? And then I can pitch my my own show to a network, and I'll just be like, okay, so it's Golden Girls, right? Only the the four Golden Girls are Lori, Grace, Skylar, and this fourth <laughs> you woman. You want to do you want to do and your uh, Nick at Night sitcom? They there? will just sit in a room and like drink. And then bitch about their old uh, how, but which a bunch of idiots their husbands were back in the day, <laughs> and <laughs> and it will all be everything from the shows they're from will be canon. So it'll be like, well, so Lori's a 20, ghost. Twenty? No, no, no. They're all alive. But it'll be like like uh, uh, Skyler will be like, yeah, twenty years ago when my idiot husband Walter blew up that you know meth house. And then, like, Lori will be like, yeah, 20 years ago when it was the post-apocalypse and my idiot husband, you know, got me, you know, got me killed. And then whatever, you know, and it'll just, it, it won't make any sense. But it'll just be golden girls with those, with these, these poor wives that have, that can have it, idiot husbands. Can it, can it be a girlfriend from a movie? Because I might have found your fourth if you want. Who? So, uh. The the girlfriend and rounders, she's awful. Not not popular enough. Okay, I, I can't picture her. So she's not like I can picture Lori. I can picture Skylar. I guess since okay, you're guess the producer Grace, of this. Okay, so Grace isn't really that <laughs> manifest. Is I don't give manifest a second season. Honestly, yeah. I'm still gonna watch it through to the end. But I don't I think see you're it giving up on this season. exercise too quickly, though. I think it's too much fun to follow through <laughs> just finding the wet blanket characters. <laughs> I I haven't put enough thought into like that, that was a real thing in like especially Lilith? the 80s and 90s. Lilith isn't really a are you talking about Cheers? Yeah. She's not really a wet blanket. She can be. But like, I she, mean, she's a wet blanket on Frasier, though. Whenever you see her, she's just like, yes, Ugh. she is a wet. Okay, all right, you got me there. I was thinking Cheers because I just did this giant run of like episodes of Cheers. But on Cheers, she was very much like cold and distant, but not necessarily okay, a wet this? blanket. She was just better like very than odd. Better than Lilith, Maris. <laughs> yeah. Maris from Frasier. We've never seen her. No, we have. So have we anybody even heard could play Mar her. Have we even heard Maris from Anybody Frasier? could play Maris. Anyone. Should we get Vera as well from Cheers? <laughs> like I every now and then, like, like they, li they live together, they're roommates, and they just talk to him on the phone every now and again, I mean, but you never see him. <laughs> it might just be fun to have Rhea Perlman on this show, just to have Rhea Perlman on the show, honestly. See, you're already corrupting the idea because she was not a wet blanket. <laughs> no, she's <dude>. great. She's <laughs> the only character on Cheers I like. Yeah. She's so funny. She's got that curly little fro. God, she's I love so it cute. When she like attacks people, when it, she like leaps I'm on her back. That guy that played her husband on Cheers, I'm uh, glad yeah. he's dead. What? Yeah, he sucks. He does. Does he suck? I just thought it. We were. No, we were literally you know talking he about got this fired, on our TV. He got fired from Cheers because oh. he wouldn't kiss. Because he was like, I have to kiss her. Okay. And okay. We're talking about different actors. We're talking about different actors. Yeah, you're talking yeah. about the guy who played Eddie LeBeck. I thought you were talking about the guy who played Nick, like her first husband. Um, 
I'm just talking about the guy. Yeah. That, so you're talking that, about Jay Thomas. Yeah, that guy sucks, dude. Yeah. No, totally. He uh, he's he made a joke on Howard Stern about how uh, yeah, it was great being on the number one show, but you had to kiss Rhea Perlman, so that was the drawback to it. And then she had him fired from the show, like, which is great, understandably. Yeah, because they backed her up. Not like thinking that it's a chore to have to kiss Rhea Perlman. That just not, that's just not right. She's freaking adorable. Yeah, she's a little Spitfire. You know, like I, <laughs> yeah, I won't go into that. Like borderline doxing somebody there's a girl that me and alex worked with that i reminds me of rhea perlman in the fact that she's just this spunky little spitfire with so much energy and she's great yeah if you're listening you're great i'm not trying to say who you are (laughs) fair enough (laughs) uh oh another show that did come back uh over the break it came uh back on the solstice i think on the 21st uh, runaways season two is on Hulu, and um, last season was released week by week. This season was dropped all at once. Oh, they just... <laughs> and I there you go. think that's probably a bad sign for the show. Um, it might not be. Um, I think that... Uh, I think it's done. It's a Marvel show, yeah. and Disney's starting to circle the wagons around their Marvel properties. So I can see... All the Marvel shows on all the networks wrapping themselves up in the next year or two. Well, I don't the, think Gifted's Netflix, getting another the season. The Netflix thing is part of a bigger. It's part of a bigger strategy that Netflix is doing, where every single show. Because at first it looked like it was Marvel shows, and then when people started to look at it more broadly, it's like, oh, it's everything that Netflix produces with somebody else. They're getting rid of those shows because they want to completely own the content so that they don't have to like pay anybody else for it. They want to like have it be like pay it once and then boom, it's in their library forever. They don't ever have to pay for using the content again. Which is funny because like, uh, I mean, you look at say Friends Mm -hmm. and that show's been off the air for like what, 20 years now almost? 18 um, years, something like that. Maybe 15 years. I feel years. like it was around 2000 when it went off, so pretty close to 20 years. And they still make $20 million a year, the the main cast. Yeah. From syndication and whatnot. It's crazy. And it's like with Netflix going this direction with their shows, they're kind of making that no longer a thing. Like, yeah, they the still creators they of these shows for one get more paid year. Once. They, they, they picked up friends for one more year. And that was like a big deal. But they ex- only picked it up for one more year. And which the tells exclusive. me it's probably their last year. They're like, no, they're not because they're, who else they, has uh, they, cha- they were the exclusive. They just switched it. Uh, they're sharing it with like Crackle or, or somebody oh, who's like very, okay. very little. Gotcha. So it's something where they interject Crackle. commercials in. Yeah. 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 So Netflix like paid them significantly less, which is why they kept them. But. Yeah, Netflix is like going all in on this. Like, we just want to own the content now, which makes sense to me. Like, right. I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, but I do think that Marvel, to a certain extent, is trying to pull their stuff, all the Marvel stuff, back into Marvel. Yes. Over time, and I think it's somewhat gradual, especially like Fox. But that's the thing. Runaways was like an X Men thing that Fox owned. Like I think they own Fox oh, no. now. Or uh, they're gifted close is to it. nothing to do with the X Men. 
or I'm sorry, uh, you know, gifted does. I'm sorry, Runaways. Runaways, Runaways has nothing to do with the X Men. Um, they're thought, sort of, but I thought that was produced by Fox because it's like it falls under their X Men banner. It doesn't mean they're X Men, but it like falls under. Actually, um, the executive producer of um, Runaways is Brian K. Vaughn. Mm-hmm. who wrote the Runaways comic for Marvel no, and also I, writes Saga. No, I understand that. What I mean is, like, Runaways was a Fox show. Like, it, it was under oh, it, might- it was under their, their banner of stuff. And somehow it came, I thought, under their portfolio of, like, X-Men stuff. They're not X-Men, but the, it came in that deal for whatever reason. Like, there was some character that was introduced through the X-Men or something. Right. So, the, therefore, uh, it's in that umbrella. The Runaways are on the West Coast. They're in, L- they're in like, the L.A. area. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, like, the X-Men are on the East Coast. And a lot, like, the Avengers are on the East Coast. So, um, that's actually one of the things that they've used to sort of be, like, explain, like, this is why... None of those characters are here because we don't have the West Coast Avengers yet. <laughs> I don't think we're getting them either. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm Great not Lakes holding Avengers. my breath with anything anymore. <laughs> like, I never thought I'd see an Aquaman movie, like, you know, even like five years ago. But fuck, dude, here it is. It's out in the theater. So. I will say, um, that the second season, I've, I've watched three episodes now of Runaways season two, and it's really as good as the first season. I really enjoyed season one. I thought it was fantastic. And I think season two is continuing to improve on season one. So it's the show is getting better. Um, but I also think with Brian K. Vaughn involved, I think he would prefer to have a, um, he, I don't, he doesn't seem like the type to let a show go past its, um, ex- past its warranty, you know? Didn't he do Lost? I don't know. I'm only familiar with If he did his, Lost, I'm calling bullshit on I'm that. I'm only familiar. everything I heard is that Lost went on way too long. <laughs> I'm only familiar with Brian K. Vaughn's comic stuff. I'm not super, like, he, like, the comic that he's currently involved on right now is called Saga, and it's yeah. seriously one of the greatest comics I've ever read. It's brilliant. And I will admit I might be getting my names mixed up, but I thought he had something to do with it and then came into comics via that, but I could be totally wrong. But I'm going to look it up here because why not? Right. Got it. All right. So, yeah, writer of Lost. Damn it. <laughs> well, Very first I mean, a thing lot that of people up. like it. Lost Under the Dome. I liked Under the Dome. It was I terrible, though. liked it for... Two seasons? No. Like, half of the first season. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, okay. no, I'm, I'm being right. totally honest. Like, no, the right. first half of the season, <laughs> I was so fucking in, dude. And I was like, what a great idea. And they did the thing where the dome dropped and the cow cut in half and all that. And I was like, wow, what a visual. Like, I was very in. And I'll tell you the exact plot line that they dropped in when I was like, out? yeah, I'm out. Uh, when it turned out that there was like kind of a mafia thing that was already going on in there and they suddenly introduced characters like in the dome who said nobody, everybody's like, where'd you come from? Like they hadn't seen them, but they were there for like two or three weeks and nobody knew that they were there. And that was when I was like, yeah, I'm out. And isn't there like an underground fighting? Oh, no, you don't know because you didn't get that far. Yeah. Um, eventually. When I left the show was like the end of season two and there is this fucking scene 
where uh, they find this cave underground, right? And there's this just this chasm that is bottomless, basically. And I think somebody falls in, and then in the next episode or something, they wake up, and they're not in the town anymore, and they are just in a completely different town. Like, they fell through a portal or something. Okay. And I was like, yeah, no. No thanks. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> yeah, and that was at a point, that was right after Breaking Bad, so I would have watched anything with somebody from Breaking Bad at that point. And, and uh, Under were, the Dome broke that for there me. There were also teenagers on the show, and part of the their storyline was based around sexual assault, and that really just got under my skin after a while i didn't care for that yeah. i didn't i don't want to watch that stuff uh the mist tv show that spike tv did last year you definitely talked there, about that yeah the there podcast. was a huge subplot of that that was just like i'm out no no don't don't make this a part of your fucking show just don't not when that's not like what the show's about you can't just make that an incidental plot line you yeah. have to give that like weight and focus yeah, and too often can't it's, be a side plot. It will often be motivation for another character, right? It's like the, you get a character raped so that like the so other that the male character can, has like, a come reason. In, yep. Yeah, and fuck that. That's like fridging characters, you know, in comic books. Like the whole the whole reason why Gail Simone is a powerhouse in <laughs> comics today is because Kyle Rayner's wife got murdered and st- stuffed into a fridge back in the day. He was the fourth. Green Lantern? We talked about this last week. It's, I don't remember. He's matters. the third or fourth. He's the fourth because <laughs> people always forget Guy Gardner. Yeah. With that bowl cut. That bowl haircut. <laughs> the gym teacher. So great. <laughs> yeah, I just... I. Yeah, it it sucks that people just relegate female characters to motivations for male characters in general. Yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. And this is the other thing is... Uh, I can't think of a single example of a male character who is the victim of sexual assault in a, in movie. a movie or a TV show. I mean, I Just can, like, but I'm not trying to pull apart your argument. So, but a uh, dirty work. <laughs> yeah. What year did dirty work come out? <laughs> like is that a 90, main part of the plot or is that incidental? No, it's, and it's, is that, no, it is literally a joke in it because it's Norm, N- Norm McDonald's in it. Okay. He goes to prison with Artie That's Lang what it is. and he's like, you know uh, what they do in prison, right? And he's like, no, what do they do? He's like, really? You don't know the thing that prison's famous for? And then like these guys kind of come up to him and then it cuts another scene. They cut back and he goes, yeah, I didn't really like their, well, it was the ass raping, but other than the ass raping, you know what I really didn't like? It's the lack of respect. Yeah, the lack. Of, that's my best Norm yeah. McDonald I can do. <laughs> that but, was pretty good. Yeah, that's that's one of the few. So when men, when male characters are sexually assaulted, they it's are done for so comedy as a comic, really. or or like just part of a prison drama. Tons prison. of prison yep. dramas. Yeah, that's where they go in prison. Uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption is not played for laughs. Like Tim, Rob- Tim Robbins being serially raped and and uh, Shawshank Redemption, and it, that they they dealt with it pretty well because it's yeah. it's it's glossed over just enough that it never gets graphic or obscene, but you definitely feel that it is happening and it's having this effect. 
Yeah. You know, that it's having this impact. And he keeps fighting him off every time you keep seeing him come back all fucked up because, like, he fights him, but he's he he's never going to win. Right. Like, either he gets sexually assaulted about the or he gets form. physically assaulted. He's getting assaulted one way or the other. It's but just, even when he's physically assaulted, they do it anyway. Like, they, they make it clear he gets raped no matter what, but he <sighs> fights him off anyway. And uh, that, that's like a, a, a little chunk of that movie. Uh, dude, I've seen The Shawshank Redemption oh, yeah. so it's many times. It's definitely one I've seen yeah. a few times myself. So, I mean, like, it's Enough not that, something that's featured very often, but usually when you see it, it's like in a prison setting. Yeah. Oz. I, that's both examples I came up with was prison, like, scenes. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oz definitely it happened a lot in Oz. Oof. <laughs> I honestly don't think I'll Not ever be able. I don't Oz. think I'll ever be able to go back and watch Oz because yeah. there are characters like I don't ever want to see. Uh, what's his name? Uh, J.K. Simmons Schillinger. I don't want to see him. Oh, he's so brutal and right. That. He, I love J.K. Simmons in everything that he's done, and I just I don't think I want to see him as a sadistic villain type. I so just, you don't like Whiplash. I haven't seen it. I don't have. I don't want to watch it, dude. You need to watch Whiplash. No, it's I, so good. I don't like. It's when a teacher abuses a student, and then the student grows up, and they're like, "I'm really good at this thing now," and they're like, "You wouldn't have been good like that if I hadn't been hard on you." Yeah, like, this hate, is why you need to I see that because that's like, not what this is. Okay. But that, that is uh, not what this is, dude. Like I Whiplash. I feel here's, like here's what Whiplash is. I feel like is. it's gonna just drag me through like a gutter of sadness. Yes, I don't want to do that. Well, if you, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. But what you were just saying is not what the movie is. Like Good. the movie well, very much, that. very much examines negative reinforcements and how negative reinforcement can work. But how it is not a good thing. And it right. shows you all the pitfalls of it. And by the way, like, he's not better for it at the end of the movie. Like, going through it, like, he is not better off. So, it kind of has that million-dollar baby twist where you think... So, I didn't actually see that movie. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 only reason why I say twist is it feels, for most of the movie, like, underdog succeeds but then at the end of the movie she like falls and breaks her neck so and then he, and then he pulls is, the plug on her because she is, wants to die god damn dude oh oh million do- i got mixed up with uh what was the one with like india and the the uh game show million dollar baby no that's not million dollar baby that's what it? i just said uh yeah because i i've money. actually seen i've actually seen million dollar slum baby. dog millionaire yeah yeah that's I, thought, what I got it mixed up uh, i saw million dollar baby in the theater and then i saw it later on video i totally saw that movie oh yeah that was a twist that i did not see coming when i was watching that movie would but, you say that whiplash is similar to million dollar baby in that sense where they like no. just in the sense that they take like what you would think might be this established like, because the idea of like the negative reinforcement turning somebody, like making somebody a good guy, and then it's like, no, that's not what happens so here. I know what you're saying, but but this is very much about like Miles uh, Teller is playing this kid who is like I would I was I was about to say borderline obsessed with being a great jazz drummer, but he's just straight up obsessed with it, and he fucks up his entire life, and. 
It's never painted in a positive thing. And J.K. Simmons is straight up scary in the movie, like with his outbursts of anger. And like it is always treated like he is not a good person. And they have this one little scene towards the end where you where they're trying to paint it like there's a little bit of humanity there. And then it's just a fuck over this guy, right? <laughs> and uh, can I just tell you the scene? Yeah. Like, fuck it, dude. So, okay. So, I got to tell you the build up to this. Because this is such a great movie. It doesn't matter if you know what happens. Like, it's just worth sitting through the journey. Right, right. But essentially, he like, he's got this school where it's like they put out the best jazz musicians in in the country. Okay. And he just, he's fucking scary and he's wearing a tight black shirt the entire time. So you get to see like kind of Oz built, you know, so he's not only physically imposing, but he like hurls symbols at people's heads. Like there's a part where, um, where, uh, Miles Teller is like playing and he's slightly off tempo and he slaps him in the face or he says like, were you dragging or were you work? Were you going ahead or were you dragging? He goes, I, I don't know. And he slaps him in the face like four times. And he's like, was that dragging or was that going ahead? Like, you know, and right. he's gonna, clearly going to hit him again if he doesn't give the right answer. And it's just like shit like that. And like everybody is terrified of this guy. Okay. So eventually it comes down to like when Miles Teller comes in, he's the third. He's basically the third chair drummer. And uh they have this concert and the guy loses his band folder. And so miles Teller takes over for it. And like he's fucking JK Simmons is setting up all the students against each other because he's trying to use negative reinforcement to get the absolute best out of them. But like, they don't paint him as a human person. Like he's a fucking monster when you're watching Hmm. it. Okay. And so miles Taylor is like going to show up at this concert and he knows if he's late that he's not going to get it. And he's so fucking driven that he winds up getting in this car accident and just getting all fucked up. And so they go, these people from the school go to talk to him. And it turns out that one of his students committed suicide and it was like due to the way that he taught him. Like he basically used this kid up and, um, like the kid committed suicide. And so miles Teller tells them the story and this gets like, uh, jk simmons kicked out of the school okay so he runs into him like a year later at a bar and he talks about how i just wanted to get the best out of you possible and was talking about this jazz musician who um like really needed negative reinforcement to get it and he was trying to create another musician like that so he's like why don't you show up at this thing like there's going to be a bunch of industry people i don't have a great drummer so he shows up to drum and he goes to play And then he realizes as he starts that he has the wrong sheet music because the guy handed him the wrong sheet music in front of everybody who's fucking playing like a different song. So he set this guy up to fuck up in front of all the industry people. Simmons set Miles Teller up? Yes. And just destroys his career before it even starts, right? And so he gets through that and then all of a sudden like... Well, but I mean, okay, real quick. Couldn't he just raise his hand and be like, hey, I've got the wrong sheet music. J.K. Simmons knew he did it on purpose. He's trying to get him to fuck well, up I know. because he knows that like he's the one who got him fired. But I know, but but he's not the only one in the room, right? Like all these other industry people. They're on a stage in front of so it's industry just like, people in the dark in the crowd. So it's, there's just no way he could get the... There's right. no redemption from this, right? And so like... 
he's he's kind of smirking at him and like miles teller manages to get through the song but it's just awful and everybody's staring at him like what are you doing kind of thing and uh and then like he just immediately starts drumming and like forces him into an improv song and he just fucking kicks ass at it so you get the triumphant moment and like jk simmons seems kind of proud with him as he's like he's pissed off him at first and then realizing how good what he's doing is and he goes along it's really positive at the end right because he's like kind of beat the teacher at his own game and like took control of it and like did it but you sit there and look at it and you finish the movie and you realize but he's already fucked his career like those industry guys saw it they established in the movie like you don't get a second chance with these guys. You fuck up once, they remember forever. Like they have Oof. a long memory on that. So Those like guys he, sound like villains. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like the whole industry is the villain. Right. In this movie. So they make it if you're not paying attention, you're like, wow, that's positive for him. But it's like, no, dude, like he took his victory because he had to, because he probably would kill himself otherwise. And like they talked to the director of that movie because it was up for best picture and right. stuff. And uh, they talk to the director and they're like, where's that character in five years? And he goes, he dies with a needle in his arm. Like that's Miles Teller. Yeah. Like his character is like, he's like, that guy lives off a of negative reinforcement. The whole point of the movie is to show how corrosive negative reinforcement is. Right. Like it's, it's just like, maybe you get immediate results out of it, but it's horrible on the human being. Like whiplash is fucking incredible, dude. It's a rough watch, well, but it it's definitely so good. Doesn't sound like the kind of movie that I'm going to sit down and watch by myself. It's the same reason why I haven't seen get out yet. Yeah. Because I just, that doesn't feel like a movie that you just sit and watch by yourself. It's a movie you watch with like one or two other people and discuss after. I did that the first two times. The third time I watched Get Out is by myself, but I, <laughs> I love Get Out. Um, I will say Whiplash. I watched it in a whole audience of people with my wife, like at the Myrna Loy. It was great, like when it came out. And then I watched it again on Amazon Prime with River because she plays music and she's really good. And I was like, you should sit down and watch this movie with me. And so we were watching it and just, yeah, because she's a band person. So I was like, imagine having that kind of a teacher. Right. And she's like, holy shit. Because yeah, her thought, band teacher, Leverage, was yeah, my was band say, teacher. You thought Leverage was bad? Yeah, you got Leverage too. Okay. <laughs> no, Leverage I the, was the opposite I'm of that. Though, with except leverage. for on show night. <laughs> See, I'm, show night, he'd flip out a little bit, as all band teachers did that I ever had. But, like, he was very much positive any other time. Yeah, he seemed like a great guy. I never had him. I went to Capitol for when I was in band okay. for my first two years of high school. And I had somebody else's name. Nielsen, I think. Mr. I guess. I don't I don't remember his name, honestly. But uh, he made me cry one time when I – because I played drums. And we were practicing for marching band for the – parade i was a freshman and i was either i kept speeding up or i wasn't going fast enough or something but there was something going on where i think i was speeding up i think i was going too fast and he just like laid into me in front of the entire band you know and it was like band class in high school you'll have like you know second period fifth period seventh period and so there's like really there's like three or four band classes but when you do marching band, all the band classes are together. Yeah. So it's like four classes worth of students. 
And he like humiliated me in front of all of them. Dude, you should really watch this movie just because we all played drums. We all played drums. And I think we've all had experiences somewhat like this. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it it might be a little rough. Like that might be one of the reasons why I have shied away from it might be cathartic for you that was a scene that was a memory from high school that is like has stuck with me not many things from high school have stuck with me this movie that director was a drummer and like his eighth grade band teacher scared the living shit out of him and so jk simmons is based off of this band teacher (laughs) i feel like my middle school band teacher looks like jk simmons looked (laughs) And you know what's oh, funny no. too is like all of the teachers, just the tight shirt. I seem to remember yeah. the tight shirt. A lot of the um, teachers that I had as band leaders, like when I was their student, they had a kid of their own that was a student. Like Mr. Berg was my middle school band teacher. And when I was in his band class, his son was like in class with me. And, uh, then when I, when, uh, Loveridge was around, when I was in high school, Loveridge, his son was in the jazz band. And so for, it's just funny. This is kind of just a completely off subject thing, but there was always like one kid that was just like, my dad's the band director and I like, I'm just the most talented one here. And they had this huge ego <laughs> and it was so funny. Like, uh, cause I bet you they got it way worse than yeah. any of us did yeah you know because it's, it's a they had the double whammy they put on they had the double whammy of being like i'm first sax you know and that's my dad so you know they've got the yeah. double pressure it's the same as the coach's kid in yep. sports yeah nobody likes the coach's kid yeah and nobody liked these guys but they also had kind of a little bit of arrogance there that came yep. with being the and i think the arrogance a lot of the time is because like they get shit thrown at them. So like you put up that, pro- that's, that's your protective armor against yeah. it. Like I, yeah. I Coping. very much use humor for my protection. Yeah. Like some people use arrogance. Uh, yeah. There's different things. You know, it's interesting for band because when I was in seventh grade, um, I had this teacher, Mr. Hartman is a really good teacher, but um, we used to, me and my friend used to just fuck around in the back all the time. And I was like the, I was either the first or second chair drum. I don't even remember anymore. Like the entire time I was in band, I just alternated between first and second. Wasn't quite good enough to always hold that first, but I was still good enough to always at least hold the second chair. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he had, uh, I, we used to fuck around all the time and I think it really, really frustrated him. And I found out later <laughs> it frustrated him because he knew that I could do more, but I wasn't like, Right. Applying myself because I was fucking around, you know? I think that... And boredom yeah. was a big thing for me in middle school. Like, I couldn't be bored. I had to be doing something all the time. And so, he would, like... Once or twice, he, like, yelled at me. And it wasn't just me. It was, like, most of the drum section. Like, <laughs> yeah. we were all fuck-arounds, you know? Yeah. And then one day, uh my grandmother was like, what's his name again? Like ask him if ask him if he's related to whites, and I was like, okay. So I asked him. He's like, yeah. And it turned out he was my cousin. He was my cousin I'd heard about for years and years and years, and never met him. <laughs> and when he found that out, he was like, hey, why don't you why don't you come to the band class after school? And I was like, okay. So like, 
he i was already working on like a duet with a friend of mine with like snare drums but he just started like taking me under his wing and showing me way more stuff and he didn't do the Hmm. thing where he like like i was already one of the better drummers so it wasn't like he was promoting me or anything but what he did was he just showed me way more stuff because he suddenly had like a vested interest because of his family (laughs) and uh it's fucking great, dude. Like, I don't think I ever wind up in bands way later if it wasn't for him kind of taking an interest and being like, you're capable. Like, cause he straight up told me you're capable of so much more and you're just messing around in the back, but he didn't say it in a nagging way. He was like showing me like you can do this stuff. And that was really fucking cool. And, uh, that's like the opposite of the movie whiplash. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I imagine that for, like teachers it's more frustrating when a person uh grasps everything but doesn't apply themselves versus when they when they try really hard and just can't get it yeah like i feel like that would be a way easier thing to deal with it's like hey at least you're trying really hard you know that because i think that in adulthood the ability to work hard is a much more valuable skill than being naturally good at something. Yeah. I see it. I see it with my kids sometimes too. It's like, uh, I think being naturally dude, good at stuff me, can be a hindrance sometimes, especially me, in America, at least because we don't value hard work here. Yeah, you I know? do. I do. I like, mean, give me, give me a kid who gets D's who like worked really hard to not get F's, like who worked really, really hard and got D's. Give me that over the kid who gets like B's because they didn't turn in a couple assignments and, and didn't go all the way. Like I would yeah. much rather have the person who works harder and doesn't quite grasp everything. Like I would rather have that person because they can only go up right? You know, and they have the motivation. Whereas like the people who are really good already, but they're not putting in the motivation, you know, to be the best or whatever, because they're already good. It's like those people kind of drive me crazy if I'm being honest. Like they're naturally good at stuff, but they don't work at it. What so. it is for me, like the perfect uh, descri- description or uh, uh, per- portrayal of that is in the first episode ever of Community when Jeff Winger like sort of just uses his sort of wiles to like he's trying to get with, you know, Britta and he's trying to like get all these people to do his work for him and to not have to 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 do anything and he's like putting more effort into trying to get out of doing work than in just doing the work it's like george costanza and and then at the end of the (laughs) uh, episode when he's kind of he's basically kicked out of the study group that he created as a ruse to trick britta into going out with him (laughs) and it all comes crashing down and he thinks he has all the answers but then this professor that because he's a lawyer that you know like didn't have a real degree so he has to he lost his license to practice law and he has to go back to school to get an actual degree so that he can retake the bar and practice law again and uh he uh he goes through all this stuff and then he thinks he has all the answers to all the tests and it's just blank paper and so he's sitting out on the front step and like they the other people start coming out because they're just like after you left study group got real boring you know we like you were adding this element to the group that we really liked and once you were gone it was kind of stupid and then one of them says like uh, donald glover's character is like you seem really smart like why don't you just study and he goes 
you know, that's the funny thing about being smart is that you don't have to work. And I never learned how, you know, and that's always really resonated with me because, you know, not to humble brag, you know, but I, I feel like I'm a fairly intelligent person. I was able to take tests in school um, without doing the homework and like get a hundred or a 90 on the test. You know, I was, I was, I could absorb information really well and I didn't usually have to take notes in class to retain information. Mm -hmm. And I was also very good at using con context to sort of figure out the answer. You know, like if it was multiple choice, I may not know the answer, but I know how to rule out all the wrong answers so that I can, you know, just raise my chances of getting the multiple choice right. And, uh, so I was always very good at test taking. I was terrible at homework. Yeah. Know? And, uh, me too. and when it comes right down to it, I, I really identify with that statement. It's like, I was able to succeed enough without putting in the work that now as an adult, I'm just like, how do I do the work? Like I have all these ideas in my head of like TV shows that I want to like pitch to people and, you know, all sorts of like books I want to write, comics I want to write. And I don't know how to just do the work. You know, I'm like, can't I just come up with the idea and then somebody else will type it up for me and draw the pictures for me and... It's, it's like it's God that damn thing. It, I, it's that thing in Mister Show where uh, where he's like where that David Cross singing in the in the mirror, and then that guy walks in and he goes, "Hey kid, you got the goods." And he's like, "Really?" <laughs> and he becomes famous, yeah. like because we're all we're all kind of raised off the American dream to believe that that's what's going to happen is if you're good enough and you're talented enough. Or you're just talented well, see, that's, enough. That's like the American version in. of the American dream. Yeah. Is that you'll just get discovered someday for the special person that you are. Yep. And you'll get everything you want. And the foreign version of the American dream is if you work really hard, you can get to America. And then you can work really hard in America and become successful. Right. And... For us native born Americans, we're, we feel entitled to the American dream just for being born here. Yeah. And, uh, I went through that when I was younger, but I had that bitterly cast off at some point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you either, you either, you know, face reality and realize that that's not how it works, or you just figure out how to fail upward. <laughs> Dude, I sat here, uh, I've been doing pot. It's so funny when I talk to people who don't have like, who've never really done the work on anything creative enough where people hear it, they like get it where they understand things. It's like, sometimes you're just yelling into the ether, like hoping that somebody hears. And most of the time they don't, you know what I mean? I've been doing this podcast for, I think we're closing in on nine years now. And uh, we're somewhere around eight and a half right now. Done. This is episode 402. <laughs> done a bunch of other shows, like done a lot of podcasting. And somebody's like, well, you should start selling commercials. It's like, okay, I get 4,000 downloads a week. Okay. That's like a big accomplishment for me. I've like watched it go up. You need in the tens of thousands before you can right. do advertising. And I've looked into this a lot. 
you know, like nobody will even consider you until you're at like 30, 40, 50,000 downloads. I'm at four. Like, <laughs> right. Well, and that, you know, and what's really I, funny. I put in the work really hard and I worked so fucking hard to go from when I first started this to where it was like two, three people a week to like 4,000 a week. You know, I've like put in the hard work, but it's also like that whole dream of like you, somebody's going to find you and just like, realize how special you are and like put you on a plot. <laughs> that shit ain't gonna happen and even if you're good at it and you work really hard at it it's still kind of a like you have to be good at it and work really hard at it just to get the fucking dice roll to where your number comes up you know what i mean right because even if you're really good and really like talented there's a ton of people that are really good and really talented that are also putting in the work so like there's only out of like those thousands of people there's only like five that are gonna like break through you know what i mean what i think for me is like i was talking to my mom the other day and she was like uh i was telling her about how i do i i joined this podcast with you occasionally and uh she asked it does anybody listen to it and I immediately was just like, I honestly don't even care. That's yeah. not, I'm not like doing this because I want people to hear what I have to say. It's like, as we get older, we have to come up with ways to hang out with our friends. Yeah. And this is an excuse just to hang out and bullshit with my friends about things that I love. Yeah. And, uh, so this show could literally just not even be posted on the <laughs> we internet. Could not be plugging in the mics. And yeah, just, we and we, honestly, this is what we would do, like drinking coffee anyway. Right. It's like like we did this a couple days ago. Right. <laughs> and it's sometimes it's like, oh, let's save that conversation for the podcast, and like, we're gonna have that conversation again in four days anyway. Yeah, so we so might true. as well. Just, I, don't, I don't know why I even did that. We'll it's always so just true. like. And every time we'll have the same conversation like three times a week. And every time we add a little new little thing in, you know, it never goes the same way twice anyways. So it's just like, it's true. So it's, it's just kind of funny. Like, yeah. And it's, that's, that's why like there's so many direct. And I mean, you're a podcast listener. So, you know, there's oh, so yeah. many different directions you can go for a podcast. And mine is like, I have like really. It's something like I want people to hear it at the same time. I've set up this thing where it's like I watch TV and I watch movies, which I do anyway. And then I get to talk about them with my friends, which I love doing and would do anyway. So I basically set up an excuse for people to sit around in a living room and like do this shit that I love doing. Like I just put microphones on it and hope somebody hears it. You know what I mean? But it's like, I'd be doing this anyway without microphones. It's just like, but we have a built in thing every week where it's like every week we're going to hang out. And that's kind of priceless, especially I'm staring down the barrel of like 40 right now, you know? Yeah. And like Brandon comes here every single week. Like we, for about eight solid years now, almost every single week, we hang out and like, I don't know if I don't think we'd be doing that otherwise, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of like, uh, I've been on the road for since September, you know, and I just got back like on the 19th or 20th and, uh, I saw some friends at Jester's 
after I got back. And one of them was like, there was a Carl-shaped hole while you were gone. And I really missed you. And I said, thanks, man. And in my head, I was like, you didn't call me like one time for five years when I was still living here. So why do you miss me? Like, I, I don't, I don't necessarily doubt you, but it feels a little insincere that you're telling me that you missed me because when I was around, we never hung out. Yeah. So I appreciate you, the sentiment, you know, and thank you. And I missed you too, I guess. <laughs> but honestly, before. like, you know, you've got this full life with your little kid and your wife, your new wife and whatnot. And I like don't have all that stuff. <laughs> so like I can totally get why we didn't hang out before, but you know, you don't have to like act like it was a big deal that I was gone because your life didn't change. You know, you didn't go from seeing me every other day but to I not do seeing think, me at all. I think there's that endorphin rush. He's a good old friend. A friend. He's yeah. a good old friend that I really like. It was great to hang out with him that night. And I have. A, I love you. I have like a a really good friend that like we don't really hang out anymore, but we used to hang out all the time. You know, and uh, there are like times I spent so many years just feeling guilty about that. But it kind of comes down to like we're both dads and we're both married and it's like and he doesn't like sitting down for podcasts. <laughs> right. That's the <laughs> That's the problem. So we don't have that built in excuse. And uh we even played music together, but it's like uh like we kinda we went in different directions with that too. Like I like playing mellower stuff. I always have, really. Like he has gotten more hardcore with this stuff and more metal and stuff. And you know, it, it is what it is, but so we don't even have the playing music together thing right. anymore, but it's like when we see each other, it's so fucking nice. And we just like hug and we're like generally happy to see each other. We're always like, we're going to hang out more and stuff. And, mean it genuinely mean it at the time and then it doesn't happen <laughs> and i just think that's right. kind of like getting older sometimes yeah, it's part so it. much harder to hang out with people and uh yeah and especially now that i'm married and stuff it just kind of and it's not an excuse but it's just like your whole world kind of changes and whereas like you had a time where you're like, I'm doing anything I want when I want outside of like keeping a job and a, like a roof over my head, I get to do whatever I want. And then when you have kids and stuff, you're like, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> right. I can't do what I want all the time. I want to see Aquaman, even though I know it's bad. I don't <laughs> have the money to see Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'll wait for it, but I do kind of want to see it people are placing it pretty like lower than I expected them to place it in, in like, Oh, maybe not. I mean, it's, they're putting it above BVS and justice league and like slightly over suicide squad, but they're putting it behind, um, wonder woman and man of steel. I'm surprised at how even, people consider man of steel and wonder woman to be to each other i feel like people haven't seen man of steel for a long time and that's why you think that as time goes by people are liking it more i think that they're i think that we were and i say we because i was part of this too until i went to rewatch it but like 
I think there was genuine excitement for like, we haven't had a Superman movie for a little while. Yay, Superman. And then like, dude, I went back to watch it a couple of times. It's like, God damn, not only is it stupid, but it's boring. <laughs> like I, the whole thing uh, with Kevin Costner is just so dumb. Yeah, that's pretty it's dumb. so that's a bad dumb scene. when he's like staring at him just and let like, let me die. What? You're stupid. That, it's That's stupid. stupid. It's so dumb. Don't save me. His entire arc with the <laughs> yeah, father the is so stupid. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But it's also a pretty boring movie when you really boil it down. And it shouldn't be. But it kind of is. Well, like, you know, I got to say, I also think Wonder Woman is kind of overrated as a movie. Like, I think it's overrated, but I did enjoy it a lot. I, I enjoyed it for the most part. But I will say the only time that I really like got into the movie was that World War One sequence where they're shooting yes. at her and she runs into it with the shield and it's like like her little theme songs playing. Maybe like that wasn't even in the movie. That might have just been in the trailer. No, it's definitely in the movie. That's that yeah. music. Okay. Yeah, that theme. So but, but here's the thing is that Man of Steel, the final like battle with all the things, like is it's a pretty good fight. Yes. And even though people didn't like that Superman snapped Zod's like, neck, I liked that scene. I liked the fight. I liked that scene when a When I watched that, I liked it, but it was also like, it didn't feel like a very Superman thing to me. The movie's not called Superman. It's called Man of Steel. He's <laughs> not Superman yet. He's not Superman yet. And you know what? He can have the S on his chest and not be Superman because that's not an S. You know what the that's problem the is? That's the symbol of hope. You know what the problem is? Like, really? David S. Goyer, who wrote it, uh, who I have issues with in a lot of his movies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He straight Agreed. up said that, like, they wanted him to kill Zod. And so they reverse engineered a lot of the movie to get to that point because he wanted like- a dramatic thing. And I think that's a stupid fucking place to start with, like, I want my Superman oh, yeah, no. to kill the villain. I agree. I agree. That's, that's you're not, not a good starting you're point. You're not servicing Superman very well. But I like, I think more and more movies are being like uh, reverse engineered from a single concept. Like, uh, I feel like The Nun started out with, we want to do a horror movie about an evil nun. And then they worked out from there. Oh, but or it like, came from uh, The Conjuring first, right? I mean, like, but yeah. And The Conjuring came out of like, a bullshit based on or true like, story or like annabelle or like you know yeah. evil doll go from there and actually i was gonna say i have this idea for like a podcast where every every episode we start with a single thing just like one like a a, a one phrase one sentence idea or something and then we build a, a pitch for something out of that like um, the other day I was thinking about how freaking creepy is it to see like, like a 150 year old pregnant woman? Like how, <laughs> how creepy is that? That's not, it's completely unnatural. Like, uh, and so I was like, what, let's just start there. Like, that's the scary thing in the horror movie. And then let's build a pitch from that. What like, would the baby what, be like in that? Like, would it eat its way out of well, that's her? What, I'm and then does she, she survive that? Is I'm, she immortal? See, I'm thinking she is like a demon of some kind and that she never actually gives birth. She's just perpetually pregnant. Interesting. <laughs> 
you know, uh, when I was playing Bald, when I was playing that, Baldur's Gate. What could Gate, that be a metaphor for, you know? Like, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, what could that, because the same way that Babadook is about, you know, being yeah. a single parent, et cetera, et cetera. There's like a metaphor. Like, what could that be a metaphor for? I have no idea. When I, Anyways. When I was playing uh, Baldur's Gate, there was this, there's this part where this little kid runs up to you. And he's like looking for his dog. And he's like, if you find it, can you bring it back to me? And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, you know, because it's experience, whatever. <laughs> so I'm like going through the thing. I finally find the dog and I get it to follow. And then the kid's like, thanks, mister. I'm going to go home now. And he like suddenly these flames just engulf him. And there's like this giant pentagram. And it's like this it's a giant winged demon. And it just like takes the dog and then like goes through the pentagram and disappears. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I couldn't believe they put that in there. Yeah, I'm great. just like, that is, that's like out of a Tenacious D movie. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. it was utterly crazy. But I just thought about that with the perpetual 150 year old pregnant woman who's probably a demon. It's probably a good it place seems to cut creepy. off, right? It just seems like a creepy uh, concept, but it doesn't it has to have a has to have a meaning or it's just creepy for its own sake, you know, like Yeah. We could build like There's something in there. There's something in like, the fear of like pregnancy. It's like that's right. Well, I mean, that is a it, that's like an underexplored territory. Oh, it's been explored. We There's like five don't have the right, movies or we something. We don't have the right to explore that really because we don't really get it. Right. There is that movie that I've been, that I wanted to see that came out like last winter and I'm now blanking on what it's called, but it was like this pregnant woman and the baby starts talking to her and getting her to kill people. And so she's like afraid to give birth to it because she's like, because it's talking to her for, and it's like, kill that guy you know murder that piece of shit so she's like killing people for the baby god i can't remember it was prevenge i think it's called prevenge but the woman that directed it and stars in it was pregnant at the time like legitimately pregnant it's not like a fake pregnancy or thing like her like a fake bump in her belly and so she was like like when i heard all about that it was like She's pregnant for real. She takes this opportunity while she's pregnant to be like, I'm going to make a movie about an evil baby. <laughs> and it'll, and then I was like, uh, just from beginning to end, just like con- conceptually, I love that woman just for, for doing that. It's you know? called Prevenge. Prevenge. I am checking this out. Is it out yet? Yes, it is. It was like an indie thing. And I think it was released specifically on Shudder. Which is like that horror yeah. streaming service. It's just it's just horror movies. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's on there. I don't know where anywhere else it could be. Might be on Amazon Prime. If it's on if it's anywhere besides Shutter, it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Because that's a very much a catch all for a lot of things. Like, why is Zach Morris's trash on Amazon Prime? That's a YouTube series. <laughs> They're like minute and a half long clips. You know, like a full episode is like three minutes. And Brandon and I like, were what? talking the other day, you know, uh, how it should have ended. Yeah. Uh, so like did you know that started on stars? Really? Yeah. It, it moved was ju- to YouTube from stars. Yeah. That's weird. It was, it, it's it production started value before is very high. YouTube was a thing. Oh, wow. It was on stars and it was bumpers. Like it was, you only really saw, or I only saw them late at night. 
like between movies when they had like we've got this little two minute block to kill so they would just like put how it should have ended on there and they were like i mean it's when you go through and you're like whoa that animation's pretty bad that's usually the ones from back in those days and then as youtube took off it took off and i mean i doubt it's on stars anymore but yeah, it's interesting how stuff can move, but this is probably a good place to cut off because we're at hour 46. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should stop. Yeah. We did it, man. We didn't know what we we're going to talk about. We fucking did it, <laughs> Two dude. Two hours. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when uh, when you use a podcast as an excuse just to hang out bullshit. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully you, you weren't too put off by all this. Yeah. I don't care if you were. Take it easy. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.